Hi, everybody. Welcome to Don't Ignore the Nudge. This is the place where you get to hear extraordinary stories of ordinary people and how God has nudged them to either do something or not do something in their life and what happened because of it. My name is Corey Freeman, and I just wanted to get these stories out there. I hope you enjoy them as much as I do. So let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Don't Ignore the Nudge. Wanted to nudge you today to join the Facebook group. So we have a group that's a private Facebook group. So far, I'm just going to keep it on Facebook private. I don't really want to do YouTube. To be quite honest, I'm a little bit nervous about the haters on YouTube. So I just have this private Facebook group that you can actually see all of these episodes on the Facebook group. So you just go to don'tignorethenudge.com forward slash Facebook and Facebook in this is a small F. So don'tignorethenudge.com forward slash Facebook, small F. And then you just give me your email so I know you really exist. And then you can go in there. And the best way, if you guys don't know this, the best way to pull up episodes you want to watch are either by the person's name, search by the person's name. I'm trying to figure out how to put them in. There's not a files, but there's a guide. So I've been trying to drop some episodes in the guide. So I'm trying to get them all organized. But in the meantime, you can just search for episode one, episode two, whatever you're on. So that's just one way of searching the private Facebook group in case you didn't know. So today we are talking to Don McCoy. So happy this is happening. Okay, Don and I have known each other quite a few years through our Business Women's Association. And I we had talked when I first started doing this podcast. And whatever reason, I said, I feel like we're supposed to wait. And and she goes, okay. She was so accommodating. But I was thinking, like, why is God just telling me to like, stall this right now. I didn't know why. Now we do. But it's so funny how that happened. But I am so glad to be interviewing you today. I've been me too. I am my mentor. Oh. So it's, you know, when you're my mentor, it's kind of nice to come into a conversation. It's this is an easy conversation for me to have with you personally, as well as anybody else but you personally. You've oh. helped me through a lot. So I'm glad to be here. Thank oh. you. Yay. Well, for those of you who don't know, Don McCoy actually is the founder of the Red Shoe Project, Inc. And it is actually in Redlands, California, just in case you're looking it up so you know which one. you're. There are a few like names similar. So it's Red Shoe Project, Inc. in Redlands, California. And I'll let you in a second tell a little bit more about what you guys offer. But she's actually the host. She's a radio show host now. And her show is called When We Come Undone, which I can't, like, I'd like you to tell people about that too in a second. But she's actually, if you're looking for it, you go to KCAA on Wednesday at 7 p.m. And then they re-air the same episode. So you get like a little replay on KQLH on Sunday at 8 a.m. Yes. So I think we got that figured out. But when we come undone, and it's just really good, and it's actually where you can see on video also, which is really fun for me. So when I tap into it, you can get that video. And just like here, it's podcast, it's audio, but I have to have the video element because I'm interviewing you and I want people to see your smiling face. In a nutshell, can you give us a little bit of background about what Red Shoe does? And then also when we come undone is about, or we can get to that later if you like, whichever way you'd like to do it. 
So Red Shoe Project, I opened it in 2011 after divorce and all of my degrees. I went to college early in life, right after high school and was divorcing and needed a place to not just be therapy and not just be a church, but try to find a place that was in the medium and to integrate biblical truth as well as psychological helps in the community. And I was born and raised in Redlands. And so I believed that it was important to give back to the community I was born into, as well as we have major hospitals in Loma Linda and areas that help people heal psychologically as well as physically. And so I wanted something that was very unique and special. And I created Red Shoe Project and we were at the same location for over 12 years on Brookside. And we just recently relocated to Ninth Street. Now we're, we're tucked back away in a, a different location for a reason. I did a lot of street work, helped homeless people, helped people, low income families, moms. And my main focus was working with autism and special needs children and their families, teaching cognitive behavioral techniques in their home, chore charts, reward charts, things like that. And I still wasn't finding a place, even though we had all these therapists and all these hospitals I still wasn't finding a place that was uniquely special for me personally to heal. And so I quit all my jobs at 33, 31, 32, and kind of wrote out a sketch of what Red Shoe would be. And I wanted a place that was multi-leveled, that had mental health on one section, behavioral health on another section, and then an art, some form of art expression and exercise and communication and working smarter, not harder when it comes to our body. And so whether that meant bringing people in to be gym instructors or they were massage therapists. So we kind of threw everything into one little center for quite some time. And we, we did very, very well. Then 2020 hit and we came to a place where everybody couldn't go out. So we turned telehealth. And so that was weird for me, but good for me because I was used to being kind of the politician for mental and emotional health care and well-being of my people. And I was trying to stay very located and planted somewhere. And Redlands became a huge battle for me, but it also became my playing field where I learned how to get grit and what it means to be not just a survivor, but also a person that runs a business that doesn't just melt up and go away because of a pandemic or because of a disease or things like that. So we finally found the best mission statement. We couldn't find one for years and years. And a friend of mine, he helped me wrote it. And he says, we believe in mental and emotional health care for those in need, regardless of the ability to pay. And that's unheard of. That's unheard of. Okay. Yeah. And I still was unheard of in helping people, even though they couldn't pay me, I was still helping them understand their diagnoses around an eating disorder division to where we had groups come from Loma Linda. And after they would spend hours and hours at Loma Linda in training for five days a week, they'd come over to our place and do their work, meaning sat down, talked to us about their actual eating disorder, learned a lot about drugs and alcohol, learned a lot about what meth looks like on a human body, what heroin. I didn't know any of that. I was just a pastoral student and I needed to learn exactly what different alcoholism, different psychotropic drugs, what it does to the face, to the body, to the skin. And so for 12 years, I've been in research mode. And so 2020, well, 2019, I was diagnosed with cancer. And so didn't realize that all of the work and all of the strife and all the not being good enough and all of those things developed into a very toxic environment for my job. And so my operations were a little off. My finances have always been kind of off. 
That doesn't mean that I didn't live. It's just I was living by the means. And mm-hmm. so Red Shoe was designed to be a place, to be a safety place for people to talk about emotional trauma, physical trauma, mental trauma, and spiritual trauma. And so I've stayed solid in that. Now it's 2022 and we're still operating as that. And so and you we have cancer. Yeah. You've helped me a few times where Dawn is sort of known to be the go-to person for resources. <laughs> there we go. I was going to say that too. The cancer lifestyle, that helped too. And resourcing and still always watching Chris work and his work there, the cancer life, but never needing to apply it to myself. And then in 2019, it was to be applied. And we had already had a healing strong group that was running out of our center. So it was this jack of all trades, masters of none, yet I didn't know everybody. I wouldn't say masters of none. I would say masters of quite a few, but very, very busy on all fronts. Yeah, on, including marketing and sales, as well as not so much growth development in, in the company, but growth development within me, my family, our services, doing speaking engagements a little here and there. But what developed really into, which was 2020, was I wanted to be my own client again. And that's why I designed Red Shoes because I became my own client. I had to design something that I have to learn how to love myself and others better, know myself a lot better than I thought I knew, speak to myself and speak to others better in a way that uplifts people as opposed to me being a critical overthinker, overachiever, and to speak with people and to listen mm-hmm. and then to do something about it that I'm not so stagnant. So I work from those four principles and I taught my clients how to do that. Just started doing that with myself probably the last 10, 15 years. Yeah. And, and it, I love it because yeah. you really truly meet people where they're at. Yeah. And with the people that I have needed resources for, it was homeless people that I would encountered or drug addicts that I've encountered. And they've needed certain things that were just not usually readily available as far as a resource. And you've always been there. And I think it's really interesting because we usually start off with, you know, somebody's testimony. But because you're giving so much background on the the development of Red Shoe, it kind of leads me to a curiosity of like, okay, how, when did you become a woman of faith? When did you... When did the Lord meet you where you were at and and yeah. call you and draw you near? So I was I was born and raised in church. Two days after I was born, I was basically dedicated in the Church of the Nazarene, which that's a local church in Redlands, and now it's called the Ark. Now the reason why I say that is because that that church still stands, and there's a lot of people in the community that still go there, or we drive by it every day on Citrus and Grove, like it's a hot spot. And I got married there, divorced through there. You know what I mean? Like there's just a lot of history in that little baby church, but I was being matured in the church. I was in choir doing dramas, you know, and Christmas time, the angels are hanging where I'm one of the little ones in the church. So they hung me from the roof and it doesn't uh, sound good. They hung you from the roof. You know, they, we had contraptions and things back in the early nineties, you know, <laughs> as a teen, I was always the smallest in my church group. And then by 12 to 13, I had always learned how to play piano young in life. And I always was in church praise bands. And about 12, 13, 16, I started doing worship for our youth group. And my parents back when I was born were youth leaders at that church. And so I've always been born and raised in the church. But I remember at five, 
singing on stage with my auntie and she's a singer in Branson, Missouri. Actually, she's in her late eighties now, but she would come to Redlands and sing with me at church. And uh, we would sing, he's still working on me, you know, to make me what I ought to be. (laughs) And I am a promise. I am a possibility. So it's learning these things as an early baby. And I have now since seen now in my forties, there's pictures of me with family members that used to, that have now passed on due to heroin and prostitution and things like that. I think I've been nurtured to be a God-centered person, my entire being as an empath or an uh, empathy using unconditional love, no matter what, I'm the little baby doll that people dress up and give big hugs to and spoil rotten. Well, you get through 16, 17, 18, you don't realize now I'm starting to become more of the social media at the church where I'm helping them put words up on the screen for the first time ever when we were able to do that digitally, upgrading the churches to where, you know, we now just, we do a, a song and a praise and worship, but we also have a song special. I would sing song specials every Sunday night, that kind of stuff. And so Christmas programs, you know, you, you go visit the seniors, you become a caroler and take popcorn balls to your friends at the senior houses. So always nurtured in that until I went to college at Point Loma. I couldn't hack being away from my family. And that's when all of my questioning of where God was happened again. So I would say at age five, then age 12, 13 at church camp, you know, you have the mountaintop aha experience and you come down and God told me at 20, but he also told me at 12 years old, you want to be a therapist. You want to be an encourager. And from 12 to 21, I played that role of being the best friend to everybody, answering phone calls when we didn't have cell phones. You know, I went to college without internet. <laughs> so that we did actually. All the, all, all the millennials on the, whoever's listening right now that are millennials are freaking out right now because they're picturing having to do college without a cell phone. Without a cell phone, without a computer. You had to go to the computer labs, those things. If you needed a computer printout, you went to the library library and did your research and then you paid 10 cents a copy at you know Crafton or at the library at the school the high schools and you did some actual legwork and then I was an angry little kid basically I just always wanted to be heard and I always was like very emotional and so I would have a tummy ache anxiety I would always have some kind of like weird something where I didn't want to go to school but I could always go to church kind of thing and get that attention being the angel. And right, right. Doing all the things. Because it's yeah. all the things that you were describing well, are the things that you were doing, doing more than who you were. So exactly. it was like, oh, I'm going to take the popcorn balls. I'm going to sing in the choir. I'm going to be the angel. It was all do, 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 do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. So when I found the Lord again, honestly, it was when I was about 21, 22, where I ended up at college at CBU. Because I couldn't hack it down in Point Loma. And I learned we don't want to deal with this word. And so I didn't until probably my 40s. The word is codependency. Mm-hmm. I was completely codependent on my family's beliefs. I was completely codependent on a little job that I had so I could make my car payment. I worked at a Bible bookstore selling Bibles, you know, and stamping the gold on the Bibles. And oh. if you messed if you messed up a Bible, that's $75 out of your paycheck. And it's just these things when you're young, you're scared. You're scared, you're scared, you're scared. You're not going to make the grade. And so they tell you to go to college. Well, in therapy land, that means 
four years. And then that means another two years. And that means probably another two years worth of intern work for free. And then that probably means another year or so. So that's accumulation of almost being a doctor about 10 years, basically, of gathering all the information to make the grade. And so I was crazy young and I thought, well, I could do this from 18 on to about 28. I think I could do this. I got to about 25 and I didn't care. So from 21 to 25, I'm taking integration courses, learning how to speak Hebrew, which I don't remember half of that now, (laughs) but I do remember certain words in Hebrew and how they translate. And then, so from 21 to 25, I just really started telling God, I don't know what my epistemology is. These are big words that you're taught in college. Epistemology means source of truth. I knew that the Bible was always going to be my source of truth, yet I also enjoy nature. I enjoy elements of the earth. I enjoy oils and I enjoy a very, you know, gypsy. I'm a hippie gypsy person, yet I was contained in a little baby overweight body with very large assets, you see. And so I had this great personality. And when I walked into rooms, people were like, who is that person? And I'd be like, I don't know. And they would think I was a hairdresser because I always had like stylish, crazy hair. I went through so many different colors of hair. I cut my hair off in college. I had a faux hawk. I had short little baby hair. I did want to see pictures. Yeah. I rocked it to a place, Corey, where I understood that those things were people pleasing, but I still wanted to fit in or still have a little uniqueness at the same time. Mm -hmm. That's why the different color hair. You get the attention. Um, You do. And I am an only child, so I didn't have to fight or learn different ways to share until I overshared. And that's a sign of codependency as well. Putting yourself at risk for the needs of benefits of others, you see. And so I knew that this was going to take time. And I also knew this whole process is going to take grit. But Jesus Christ came into my life at about 25 and said, I know you want to get married. I know you also understand the Bible frontwards and backwards and you understand integration that the bible is a behavioral science book now i've heard that you- said i've heard it you know it's a history book it's a it's a therapy book it's <laughs> a life a life guide book it's it is it's everything it is and so i developed developed more of a, a habit to work with children instead because i felt like children had a little bit more understanding of me at the time oh And so I specialized in that and became more of a social worker because in 2004 or five, you basically didn't know where you were going to go with our industry. We were still trying to figure out, do we take this into the churches? In the early 90s, the churches would refer out to a therapy group and a trusted source. So anytime I would go to a church, I would put this up in front of a pastor or a board and they'd say, that's a good idea. Yet it's a nonprofit and people forget that churches are nonprofits and they have certain guidelines that they have to go through, you see, in order for things to get approved. Well, in your early 20s and 30s, when you're trying to be this kind of new place, you're not told that you're being a business person as a therapist. Mm-hmm. I am a God-centered person. And so anything I've done has been ministry-minded, not business-minded. And I didn't go to college for business. I went to college to fulfill what God told me at 12. 
which was, you're going to be a therapist and encourager. So I get all the way up into the early 2000s and I'm not trained for business. I'm just trained, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Okay, I don't want to do business. That's the world. But I want to do ministry is greater is he that is in me. To God consistently from the age 16, because I always sang that song as well as didn't realize it came from Psalms 5110, which is created me a clean heart. I renew the right spirit within me. So those nudges were that. That's the first time that God has ever nudged me was he gave me songs in my heart since I was a little baby, understanding to so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise. Just to know that say is the Lord, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust thee. You know, those, I was learning these, these songs as a child and sang them at church. I wrote memory, not just to people please, but somehow my body was constantly being nudged when in trial, when in problems, sing. And during college, I also did singing as well for chapel praise band because that's, you know part of your credits <laughs> and, and you also get scholarships. So that's a token economy. And so you're constantly being reinforced. And so in that time bracket, I got married. When you, how old were you when you got married? I was 27. So you were 20. So you were tw- around 20. You said 24, 25 when you kind of came back to Christ and came Absolutely. back to like where you really had a knowledge of who he was and accepted him and all that. And then, or... I, I should say, you know, when you were a little kid, you did, but you kind of rededicated yourself. I and did. then two years later, you get married. Yeah. And then when you did your friends at that time, because you're in your early 20s when this happened. So did the friends you have before, I mean, I know you're going to CBU. For those of you who don't know this, it's California Baptist University. So it's CBU, but it's in Riverside. But if, did you have friends that were not understanding your closeness to Christ when you started getting more yes. close to Christ in your middle 20s? Yes, because I was also a very split personality at the time. So I had a lot of adventure-seeking times too during my 20s, like a lot of us did. We did the college party scene. where, But I was actually going to different restaurants and bars and things for a cocktail after hours. And then I would go and minister to people that were in a very dark place at bars, you know, and you get to know them and you talk to them about God. They all believe somewhere in there because they've been saved a million times from addiction or saved them from a relationship. And so I would go and listen to individuals tell their stories. Mm -hmm. And so that was always a nudge. And then I did marry a person that was very bright and engineer and very business-like, which was totally not me, but I was attracted to these things. I like the the nerd in, in a person. I am a nerd, but no one would see that. But when you listen nowadays, words that come from wisdom, I had the wisdom, but I didn't have the experience. And so with my ex-husband, he had the experience as well as he was a brainiac and that was highly attractive to me. <laughs> and then by 30 that was another two years. We didn't match due to, again, our business ethics. I was constantly running around teaching college as well as trying to start my own counseling firm. And sole prop is very different than nonprofit. And when you have to learn that there's still a huge stigma on mental health, that's what got me depressed, anxiety prone, and it showed through my marriage. 
And it really was a breaking point for me. I had never been broken and I, I had to be broken to a place where all my dreams, all my things needed to be shattered to take a look at myself and go, okay, what pieces now do you want to keep? Mm-hmm. And you know, I mean, it was not. Yeah. It's really, I, I love how God does this. It's so ironic that just the way you put your hands up and you said, which pieces do you want? And if, if, if you're listening, she's kind of putting her fist in the four quadrants of a square. And it is so ironic to me because before I got on today, I had a business coaching client and, you know, as a lot of clients that come to me, whether it's through business or personal, they are working on figuring out what they want out of their business or profession, their life, you know, what they want to do, what they want to keep. Like you just said, what do I want to keep here? And I just, for the first time in my life, used an example with this coaching client and God must've given it to me because now I'm seeing it like clear as day is I said, I'm so excited for you. It's almost as if you found the, you're putting together the puzzle of your life and you've just found the four corner pieces. Exactly. And it, right when you did that, the four corners, I'm like, oh my goodness. It's like God's, God does that. It's just <laughs> intriguing to me somehow so, how it's so clear. But it is like you lay that foundation of what, where God is leading you and you create this puzzle and he is giving you the pieces and the beautiful scene and you don't know what he's creating sometimes. And you're like, well, what are we doing here? That's exactly how I felt that actually. Is this, be- good, is this a good time to go into some of your nudge story? Yeah, it's yeah. probably segueing really well, right? It is. That, like, I talked about that. What I didn't realize that I was grieving and losing, grieving and losing. So I was a constant emotional child, but I was also a constant emotional young adult. And so I was destined to figure this out, meaning if I don't, it's going to create in me a a very bruised heart. And so there was a lot of things that bruised me, bad relationships after divorce. I was divorced by 30, by the way, and I chose that life. I didn't want that life. I didn't want a divorce. I was raised to be a person that sticks with your man as well as they stick with you. My ex-husband is not a bad person. What it is, is, is that he just, him and I loved each other enough to be honest and say, this is not for me. And that was the weirdest, most mature decision I could have made at 30. Because now that I'm 44, I could have made that decision a lot better at a later date. But now that I had to learn that lesson so early in life, it gave me a springboard to actually do as I said, which was, I'm grieving and I'm losing. I'm grieving and I'm losing. And the stages of grief and loss were deep within me. Denial. Deep denial on Am I emotionally okay to be helping others grow? And I didn't even know what that meant, but I was a trained therapist, okay, of three degrees, a bachelor's of, of science and psychology and behavioral science and emphasis with adolescent behaviors, okay, special education. And I have a master's in counseling ministry that came later. And that's a, a master's of divinity. But the first one I was wanting to get so stinking bad so I could be a therapist which was the Master's of Counseling Psychology. Okay. But that's the degree skill set and your professors are telling you that you're a great clinician. And all I said was, I just want to be a pastor. 
And they come out with this great program. It was a dual master's degree program at Calvac. And so I became the first graduate of that in counseling ministry. And you get the sash, okay? You get the actual stole with the cross and you get the, you get the hood again. You get the stuff. You do. And you realize, oh my gosh, I finally made it. But they don't tell you the way you're going to be doing it. God said the way you want to do this is you want to integrate behavioral science and understand that Jesus walked the earth. You will be walking the earth. You will be taking a walk in love. And I just didn't know what the heck that meant. Red Shoes started as the fact that we are walking in love. And so the nudge was always based off of my family history. We're walking in love. We do unconditional ministry. We feed people. We did ice cream socials back in the day. You know, we had you know, teen trips to Lake Paris. Like we did all those weird beach trips and stuff. But I wasn't doing that anymore. I wasn't that active. So I had to find a different social outing. Come to find out, I discovered in my early 30s, I'm an introvert. So introversion isn't always exactly the best when becoming a top promoter of maybe a new company or a new therapy group or whatever. So I had an office in Yukaipa for a while. But why pick Yukaipa? Because no one's going to see me. Because if you're a therapist, we didn't have internet to advertise this back then. So we didn't, things didn't go that fast. It was word of mouth. These BASBC groups, or I did, I just did all these like women groups and I was telling people I'm a life coach because life coach was the new word. <laughs> <laughs> I did end up telling somebody, it's so sad because I push away from that term a lot because so right. pretty much you can say you're, anybody anywhere can say there is no regulation. Anybody can say they're a life coach. And here you have three degrees. And like, I'm a, I'm a certified business coach. I went through a lot of, you know, schooling and classes yeah. and all that stuff for it. But it's so funny because when they say life coach, it, you know, and I think it for you to call yourself a life coach when you had so many, you know, it was hard. It was hard. <laughs> it was hard because I felt like I just swallow a pill and God's like, but you're so much more than that. And I'm like, I know it's not that I'm so much more. It's it, what do you want me to tell the people? And so in 2010 and 11, my heart was really broken and got involved in a really bad relationship. And he became a narcissist and I didn't recognize those signs, even though you're schooled in it and you're, you know, grown up in a household that loves you and you love Jesus your whole life and you sing these songs, you can still get swept up in the beauty of a person and their behaviors and become a chameleon in a way because you love them. Yeah, and the emotion uh, part of it. Yeah. And so that's the one thing that I was very, very guilty of, which was falling in love with certain individuals, not just men, but people, friendships that were very self-seeking on their behalf. And then I also felt a sense of relief because they weren't these typical friends. They were people that fed my soul and kind of the grungy side of me, not the politician, therapisty, calm, polite person. So I was a very loud person. <laughs> It was very loud. I spoke really loud. I overlast my demeanor. You know, I had big assets as well as big personality. Like I said, that came from the joy of the Lord. So I would say, and it's still that way now, but only in selective few, because I had to become extroverted in order for my mind to dial in that I'm going to make a go at this red shoe thing. And when that was designed, it was based off of my mother had a pair of red shoes and she was 15 and she wore them to oblivion and made them beautiful, you know, and she was already a tall woman and she just felt taller and walked taller and 
she just told me later in life, she goes, I don't care whatever happens to me when I get old. If I die, I want to die in my red shoes. And gave it. And then she wants to give it. And so the walking of that, and then we have a little lapel pin that our grandma, my grandma gave us. And it says, the little card that comes with it is talking about, it's not just Dorothy's ruby red slippers, you know, and the power, she always had the power all along. It also represents the blood of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And understanding the sacrament that we walk, understanding that Jesus bled for us. Okay. Now, my relationship with Jesus Christ was very real. He was my imaginary friend as a little one. He was my confidant BFF crying, you know, that kind of a person during my high school, junior high, high school, college days. And then as an adult going through divorce, I wasn't lost. I just decided to marry God and Jesus in one person and like he is, but I don't understand that he needs to be also separate and pray separately to take my message to God and invite Jesus at the table every time I step up and make a statement or I have issues. Instead, I would just put him into one and go, dear God, please be with me right now. That's Captain Obvious. My communication in my early 20s and 30s were very, very all over the place. And so when I was designing Red Shoe, I designed it at 31, 32 in my head, but reality maturity wise, I don't think I was ready till age 44, which is right now <laughs> because of what it takes to utilize your skill set in a way that people will listen, but to also calm their nature down within myself. So I was extremely boisterous and passionate and called myself the life coach. And it wasn't fitting, wasn't fitting when 2020 hit and I realized God and I, we're old school. Okay, he shows me things in signs and wonders. He shows me things with birds. He shows me things with songs. He shows me things with ability in my body. So I asked God this. I said, I have cancer. 2020 is the best thing for me because no one's going to bother me. And they didn't. We went quiet for a long time. Was it several months where we're all sad and depressed? And I'm the one only over at my house going, Yes, I just ordered an Amazon bike on Amazon. I ordered red shoes. I made sure that I designed my closet to where if I did need to do stuff, I could. And I became digital with Facebook live videos at 4.15 on Thursdays and had to build the self-confidence of looking at myself while I'm talking to myself, while I'm regurgitating what the Lord had told me that day, which is, you know... Certain things like good things are happening today. Those are good quotes and things like that. And I use that later now, but quotes back then were things that I knew about mental health. Mm. So I use things like you matter, you know, and I did skits like I was born and raised in junior high to do skits, you know, and, and encourage others to laugh. And so 2020 to 2022, I still do them Thursdays at 415 with Don McCoy. And it's in between a 4.30 hour and five o'clock. So people are scanning on their telephones. It's in between before certain people go to relax and be calm and quiet or get back into a routine of fixing dinner, doing the laundry, you know, picking up the kids after sports. It's just that in between time before 6 p.m. and just after, after lunch time that they can chime in for a quick tip. Well, then you learn that people don't want to stay on the internet for 15 minutes and watch your content. What they want to do is you have something in three minutes or less. And I was like, no, I have so much more. <laughs> Welcome to the club. <laughs> yeah. But see, then I was maturing and understanding that I have an opportunity to be one of those old school preacher women if I really wanted to be, or I could just do both in one thing. So 
I would do little skits and I'd have carrot juice and I'd pour it on the little thing. And then I'd take a shot of carrot juice like I would a shot of whiskey. And I would influence people, drink your water, take your vitamins and doing through influencing through the camera as it was just not just doing it with my words, which was by behavior, by modeling a proper behavior that it's okay to talk about your mental weird quirks and then to teach people how to do lymphatic drainage while they're sitting at the table after they've eaten a full meal, how to teach them to pull on their muscles in their armpit area and around their shoulder from lymphatic drainage. That's just not for cancer clients. It's for all those who are concerned in the fact that I'm a little edgy or I have kidney stones and I have to kind of work on my side hip area after I eat and digestion. I just started doing these things in the middle of public arenas. (laughs) And I became... An example of that with my work. So, so when 2020 hit, yeah, and then you retreat and you're happy, you're a happy camper because you're, yeah. you're happily, I always say, if you're a hermit and you're happy hermiting, you know, <laughs> I, I was nesting. Yeah, you were nesting. And then when did the radio show was, Good. yeah. So what happened with that? Idea? Okay, so that was 2021. So, so 2020, 2021, I started feeling really lonely. So after I, I got my health back from all my tests back from cancer and all of that, I was healthier than I'd ever been. I started losing weight to where a manageable, my body started to kind of match my mouth, where I was highly active, highly social, running around, being able to put clothes on costume changes, things like that. When you go to different meetings, you have a speaking engagement. And then What ended up happening was it turned into watching my other entertainer friends go from being radio and in the industry for radio for 26 years or more. And they they lost their jobs. And I know what that feels like to be fired from a lot of different jobs. That's why I created Red Shoe was to design a place for people that, for me, where no one understands my trade unless we really get to some really heart-valued things and run a company based off of certain needs of the community. And so I was watching my entertainer friends missing out on their jobs and missing out on the communication. And then some of my entertainer friends all of a sudden learned what podcasting was. And I think the generation before me had a tough time knowing digitally what how to upgrade perfectly for them, not just for what the world says. TikTok had just kind of been popular, but it wasn't like crazy. Instagram had just started their story capability where you create stories. Facebook was always the true reliable. And before that, I was using Yahoo Messenger and ICQ doing the old school, you know, things. We had Blackberries. I barely had an iPhone. You know, we had the Androids and things and upgrading just little things and watching my friends in the entertainment industry start again. And getting the confidence back of being on camera again. So as my friends were starting to do more little videos and live videos, I started doing them as well. Again, because I wanted to be able to either write a book. And so development of all my weird dating stories or weird, awkward moments where God followed me in every little situation. They saved my life, rolled my car. I should have died. Things like that. I could easily tell a book or somehow do a podcast. And I met you and I was lost. I was completely lost, but I wasn't lost enough to know that I need to write some things down. And you and I counseled together and you're like, Don, 
done. What is it you want people to know about you? Like right now, I was like, I'm a good friend. Yes, you are. <laughs> That's my like instant, like snappy, scrappy do, you know, I'm a good friend, dang it. And the other one is, I love Jesus. I love God. And mental health is essential. Okay. Emotional wellness can be taught and it can be helped as it's nurtured. I'm not a mom. I made those choices years ago. I'm not married anymore. I made those choices a while ago. What else is there? I'm a good friend and I love Jesus. And he gave me all these crazy talents. What else is there? And Corey, you're like, you're like, okay, I want you to write down a 10 thing list. <laughs> and you don't remember. And I love that you still don't remember, but I remind you every time. I, re- say, I remember being at the table and I remember asking you questions. And I remember there being a piece of paper with a list involved. And I remember yeah. that you went above and beyond when I met with you again. I remember the list that you created was very impressive. Oh, that's nice. I remember that. I just took a yellow steno pad because I was in learning mode. Okay, there's a lot of times where we think that we're going to be stuck in learning mode. And I'm here to tell you there is a play mode to all the pieces like your podcast. There, there is a play mode later, but you have to put the pieces into play in order for the machine to turn it on. You're going to have to do that. And do it in cogs in the wheels and oil the cogs in the wheels. There's the elements that I was missing out on. And so the 10 things list, you said, write down 10 things you want people to know about you personally and write down another 10 things that you want people to know about you professionally and your business. I was like, I got this. And I'm just, as we're talking, like a lot of my clients do, they do it now. They can text me in like five minutes. I've been doing this for years. I know what I want. But then there's other ones that tell me, Oh, that's going to be a while. Yeah, that's the point. And for me and you, I was ready to talk about, I am more than a therapist. I'm more than a social worker. I'm more than a Christian. I am more than enough, except for I don't feel enough. And so writing it down on paper, it came to realize I wrote things like I'm a good communicator. I am an introvert. I like to party, meaning I like to play with my friends and have nice dinners. I am a good mother figure to a lot of people that people don't know. I am known more, one was, I was known more by strangers than I was by personal people in my life. Very lonely terms. I'm always in self-loather. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of us out there that but I think this is artists. But this is a beautiful picture of just, we have so many elements, as you use that word, to our I mean, God, when he says we are wonderfully and beautifully made That's right. and fearfully, you know, all that, it is true. I mean, there's, when you just, when you first meet somebody, there's a lot to their personality. And when you dig a little bit, there's other kinds of things about their personality or their behavior or just all these different aspects of who they are. And then when you really get to know people on a deeper level and over years and years, there's so much depth and beauty and also conflicting terms. Because you've exactly. got these people that you think, like my best example is like, you know, Johnny Carson on TV, who, if you guys don't know who he is, look him up, <laughs> but Johnny Carson was, you know, here he is the host, but he's the biggest introvert ever. Yeah. And they said almost painfully. And then my cousin lives right near, well, he, he before he passed, Fred Rogers from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Super, super, super introverted, like couldn't barely have conversations with adults, but very great with kids. And he yeah. is out on every single, 
So I feel like all the different things you're listing are just different, conflicting, beautifully made little mashup of a person. Yeah, I'm not a choleric personality by any means. I'm more of the sanguine or melancholy kind of personality type. And I've been learning that how I became wanting to do, I didn't answer that, how I wanted to do my radio show was it was supposed to be a book talking about all of my funny little ways of integration and examples from clients or examples from my friendships and how they grew me to help heal and grow myself. And so I designed that tagline for Red Shoe years ago based off of a playful commercial, play, laugh, grow. You know, it was super cute. And I was like, I do that. I play, I laugh, and I grow. Those are three elements. And I was writing that list down for you. And I was like, yeah, I do those things too. And then as I decided, I thought, no, I'm going to make this a podcast for one reason. 2020 gave me a vision that I can do this on a Facebook video for 15 minutes, windle it down all the way down to five minutes to a three minute. Like no problem now, except for then I would get anxiety because I would dress up and I would put wigs on and I would do the whole song and dance. And it was super fun for me, but it took me all morning to get my little, you know, the ring, you know, the light and the setup and the, you know, all the things. And I had this one little corner at Red Shoe that I would consistently use and then change the backdrops. Very entertainment because 2020, we didn't have any entertainment, right? In my heart, I was like, I need to write a book. I have so much time. I should so sit down and write. I even have the time like to a place where people are calling me. I'm consistently okay, but I could write this book and get it solidly done. I swear I'd be done in like two years. No problem. I can do this. And then I could just sell it or just promote it and speak about it. That's what everybody else does, right? And on my list of 10 things that I wanted people to know about Red Shoe, I am a community-based person. So a book to me is something I can hand over to a person in the community to where they take some wisdom to their home. Well, the Bible is already that way. So I got that. I understood that. And handing the Bible out, like handing out a track, it wasn't enough for me. And then God goes, okay, go hang out with your entertainer friends in October, which we went to a Halloween party. So before, let me stop you right there. I, I love this. Yeah. I do this to people. When they say God said. Okay, so we know God's spirit. And so you're not actually hearing the words like out loud kind of thing. Nope. You're hearing it kind of, but like, I love to hear people try to explain when God moves you, nudges you, the Holy Spirit impresses upon you, nudges you. That's what does that feel like usually for you? Frustration for me. It's actually battling. It's mind boggling. I'm glad you asked because no longer am I in the stage of grief and loss of denial or anger because anger in me and healing from divorce and from cancer and now going through the COVID epidemic lifestyle, lots of anger built up. I took the element out of bargaining because I got a hold of the word codependency. Again, we're going to flash forward 10 years there from 34 to 44. I'm an avid codependent. Oh my goodness, that's my biggest addiction. So how do I get out of actually seeking what God wants from me? And it's holding myself accountable to the codependency rules, which is, you know, look at yourself, take a look at your daily routines. And so to not be a codependent, I have to constantly rely on my trust in God to tell me or to share with me or to allow me to, my body's not tense when I decide to make a decision. My outside circumstances are tense, but am I tense? 
very different. That means my emotional well-being is intact because I had to call upon the armor of God first, which the first one is the helmet of salvation, save my mind. And so once I start praying those prayers, I remember I'm not the crazy, but it sure feels like I'm crazy. So when God gives me nudges, I have to realize I am not the crazy here. The feelings of all this stuff is crazy. Right. Except where the nudge is once I get to the event or once I get to the place or once I do complete the task that I have felt led as well. So moving forward in the knowledge of felt led, I put it in action. All of a sudden it comes from a place of mercy and grace every time. It comes from a place of kindness and favor. Hey, everybody. This is the end of part one of our episode. The second episode will probably be aired next week. If not next week, it will be coming up very shortly. Hope you enjoyed it and we'll see you next time.